to try something for me just right now just before we get into this particular story just think when you were a kid without many people having to educate you on football or anything about the nuances of the game who was great who wasn't and all the kind of things that you learn as you grow into the sport who were the teams that you just already knew about for whatever reason you just knew that they existed and you knew that they were big on that list who'd be there I mean from England you've got Liverpool Man United Arsenal specifically from my era I mean I was born in 97 so those teams are probably at the cream of the crop nowadays you'd say Man City and Chelsea are up there in the world, you'd look at the Barcelonas, the Bayern Munichs of the world. But then there's, got, there's probably one that just ranks highest above any other. And for me, and for a lot of people, it's got to be Real Madrid. And the reason for that is not just because they have been perennial winners in Europe, Spain, and just in any other world competition, but also because they've done it with such a manner of in your faceness <laughs> that we can't seem to shake them and what we're going to look through now um and it's a bit of an education for people who don't who don't know uh, about the history of Real Madrid and kind of their approach to marketing and their approach to transfer policies and things like that throughout their era but we're going to look through one of their biggest ever eras to date one of their biggest policies to date and it's something that's stayed with them ever since it was introduced and it's something that they've become both famous and infamous for because of how it succeeded and how it failed so let me just take you back all right so we go to the year maybe 2000 just come the turn of turn of the millennia and the biggest team in the world was Manchester United you know they just won the famous treble, which we've spoken about in a previous episode, our first episode actually, um, about the craziest domino effect in world transfer history, which concerned one of the key players from that team. Um, but they, yeah, in 1999, they won the Champions League, the uh, Premier League, the FA Cup, followed that up with another Premier League title in 2000. So they were the biggest team in the world and they were probably seen as the team to beat and the one that everyone else should look towards. And Sir Alex Ferguson was definitely uh, considered to be the best manager in the world. And a lot of their players were considered to be the best in their positions. Like Schmeichel just left. He went to Sporting Lisbon uh, to see out some other things in his career. But he was considered as the best goalkeeper. Um, You had players like Roy Keane, uh, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, Andy Cole. Incredible players. Incredible players. And it was their time. But that doesn't mean that just because one team is doing so, so well, it shouldn't take away the shine from other teams that are performing well around that era. And Real Madrid is a case in point. I don't think there's really a time in history where you look at that roster just purely on paper and suggest that Real Madrid were never near the cream of the crop of the footballing world because they just were. And even before the year 2000, they had players like Fernando Hierro, Raul, Guti, um, Roberto Carlos, Fernando Morientes, uh, Steve McManaman, Nicola Anelka, incredible, incredible, incredible players. And that just wasn't enough. That just wasn't enough for Real Madrid. Um, in their past, in their history, they've had some of the greatest tenures in world football. And to this day, they remain as the team that has won the most UEFA Champions League medals. And they're widely considered to be probably the best and most well-known team, at least, in Spain, despite Barcelona having that incredible period under Guardiola and towards the latter stages of Frank Rijkaard, you could never write off Real Madrid. It almost 
beggar's belief then that we're talking about them in a way which kind of makes them seem mortal. But that's what this is going to do because Real Madrid are just like any other team in the fact that even they can't paper over the cracks of something that is just integral to how a team works and integral to how a football club should be run. And no matter how much money you have or who comes in or what you try, you have to have those things going for you in order to be considered a success. And this is what happened in the year 2000. They figured this out shortly after this, once a man by the name of Florentino Perez came to light. Now, this is a guy who ran for the Real Madrid presidency a couple of times before he ended up getting it in the year 2000. And for those who are kind of unsure about how a presidency works, I mean, we have owners. We have owners in uh, UK football and the majority of world football. But presidents are kind of there to act as the figurehead for everything that the team and the club as a company are responsible for. Because even if you look at some of the big clubs in the world today, you kind of have owners who can be as distant or as involved as they want to be. You have directors of football who have the same level of autonomy in their role. You have managers who can even be considered head coaches because of how their role is seen within the coaching department. But a president, with that title, just like it is in politics, you can't escape any sort of criticism that happens under your presidency with a specific club because everyone's going to tailor it back to you. So it makes sense at the beginning to, in order to get the presidency and get the votes required to be a president of a football club, no less the president of a team like Real Madrid, you have to be bold. You have to do something and say something that they've never heard before. And this is what Florentino Perez tried to do. And he created this policy, which became the figurehead of his entire campaign, his entire presidential electoral campaign, and said, if you elect me, I will do this thing. And that thing was, he called it the Galactico policy. And the reason I laugh and the reason I you say that word with a bit of disdain is because it's not a real word. Everyone says it and everyone uses it with Real Madrid or with other players and say, yeah, he's the Galactico of this era, the Galactico of that. Oh, what a Galactico signing. It's not a real world. The only way that we can go about defining it is by breaking it up. The O bit at the end of Galactico doesn't mean anything. Galactic does. And what it meant is that Perez was dedicating to the fans and to the shareholders and everybody associated with Madrid that he was going to sign a player of galactic status every single year during his presidency. That's what he said he was going to do. And the way he put it was that he wanted to sign at least one world-class superstar whilst also bulking out the reinforcements of the uh, development club, the Castilla Academy at Real Madrid. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to call it something which was bold, something which was marketable. And he banged it, you know, that's we call it now. So that clearly worked for him. But he had to put his money quite literally where his mouth was. And it started working. It did begin working. So from 2000 to 2004, Real Madrid signed four world-class players, actually five world-class players, if we're going to count... Um, the latter one. Like The way you look at this is you think it has to be an expensive signing, it has to be this, has to be that, but really it's just about their status, their status as a football player. In 2000, they signed Luis Figo for 60 million euros from Barcelona, no doubt. 
he had a good time in Real Madrid, um, as did the following signing, Zinedine Zidane, signed for 73.5 million euros from Juventus. And at the time, probably considered to be the best player in the world. And then the following season, he goes and signs the best player in the world. For me, the best player, the best striker in football history. For me, that's that's my personal um my personal opinion and it's something we considered in our very last video on what happened to this guy at the uh, 1998 world cup of course we're talking about ronaldo who he signed for 45 million euros from inter milan having just won the 2002 world cup he then signed david beckham for 37 and a half million euros from man united in 2003 and he then even signed michael owen for two in 2004 for 9 million euros from liverpool it's, it's a stupid collection of numbers and a stupid collection of players because you don't think that a single team is capable of signing those players. But the thing is, on paper, you put these players in a team and they work fine. You've got Zidane in the middle, Figo and Beckham on the wings, Ronaldo and Owen up top. That's what you've got. And that works. That does work fine in an attacking sense. But football isn't a five-a-side game. It's an 11-a-side game. And this is where Perez screwed up. It became known that in order to finance big moves like this for the Figos, Ronaldo, Zidane's of the world, you have to pay big money, not only to secure them on a contract, but also to keep them to that for a certain amount of years. And that means you have to give them a pretty extensive pay package. And that's not just their wage, but it's also their marketing rights. That's also a signing on fee, any playing bonuses that they may accrue during their time at Madrid. And the number started adding up. And as far as Perez was concerned, he was still banking on this policy. And it was still working because at the beginning, they were playing well. This team, they won the uh, La Liga in 2000-2001 and 02-03. And then they claimed the uh, Champions League in 01-02. So during that period when they had like the Ronaldos and the Zidane's and everything. Well, Ronaldo just came after the Champions League win famously. But... Having Zidane and Figo and all this, it, it was working for them. But then, 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 they made a mistake in analysing what was really important to their team. Because in any football club, in any football squad, it doesn't matter how much firepower you have if you're leaking as many goals in at the back. You have to have as sturdy a defence that matches up with the creativity of your front line. And if you don't have that, you're never going to be successful. And if we look back at that team, that 1999 Manchester United team, that's why they were so good. Because balance-wise, I, I would consider that almost a perfect team. The defence was sturdy. The midfield had balance in attack and defence. And the attack could just freely go on and do what they had to do. But they defended from the front. Nevertheless, they didn't have to, but that's what they did because that's the mantra that they were given. Liverpool did it in their biggest season in the Premier League. Man City are doing it now. Every big club has balance and Real Madrid at that time ignored it. They completely ignored it because when you have that amount of money being spent on big players, you have to refinance them by selling other players. And they were just allergic to keeping their key talents. They lost Anelka to begin with. And if you think... You know, Anelka didn't do as well as he could have done in Real Madrid. But I think if he was cultivated properly, if they worked on him properly, they wouldn't have needed to go for someone like Owen later on because they already had someone like Anelka in their ranks to begin with. 
Um, they got rid of Steve McManaman on a free. Like he came in, did a really good job for them, and they let him go. Um, Fernando Morientes ended up leaving for them as well. Um, Fernando Hierro left towards the end of his career. They had no real solidity in the back line, but out of all of them, no matter what, and we've discussed this at ultraunited.com in a column that is titled The Most Underappreciated Galactico. And I'll give you five seconds to think who that guy could be. Yep. Just uh, take a little sip of that tea or like just, I don't know, scratch your head, whatever you feel like doing. It was Cloud Makaleli, <laughs> obviously. The the guy who's very few players can have positions named after them, but this guy has one in the Makaleli role. And he was always deployed in that sort of go-between area between the defence and the midfield. And it was just a simple role that could be done by anyone who's dogged and someone who's got great stamina and got great intelligence about them. So that's why the likes of um, N'Golo Kante has done so well um, in his career. That's why Manchester United right now are crying out for someone in that role. Thomas Partey came into Arsenal in order to fulfil that position. Declan Rice is doing such a good role at, Man at West Ham United. Rodri, Gundogan, like all these players who develop in that defensive midfield position. They have this knack of knowing what the game expects of them and are brave enough to break up possession for the opposition, convert that into positive possession for your own team and just let the other ones do what they needed to do. They're not vain. They don't go for personal accolades. Only the true people in football who know football will appreciate how important that they are. It's like the Nicky Butt of the 1999 team. Like, there's all these players that don't get the recognition they deserve because they have a role which doesn't paint towards being recognised for what you're doing. And McAlealy was that type of player, unfortunately. Um, well, you say unfortunately, we're talking about him now and people talk about him like a legend, as he is. And it's just a shame that Real Madrid didn't figure that out. Because they let him go to Chelsea in 2003 and they were building their own sort of like Galactico era, which we'll talk about in a later episode as we analyse the difference between Perez and Abramovich and how one got it right and one got it wrong. But this is where things slowly started to decline. And even in the later years, once they tried bringing in Sergio Ramos and all these other players to fill up their defensive line, the damage had been done. Because not only had they signed Figo, Zidane, Ronaldo, Beckham in their prime years, but they, if anything, they were towards the latter end of their careers. They were all 27, 28 plus, which means they had in an outfield position two or three solid years ahead of them. Ronaldo had lost his pace because of his injury problems. Figo was getting it in the neck left, right and centre from the press, which Perez nor the team really shielded him from. Zidane was Zidane, so he could always go ahead and be like the best player he could be. Owen had a great time there, but then they took, they were kind of forced to take money from Newcastle once they you know, fit their sale price. It just all went to crap. And you think for someone who's as ballsy as Perez, and you clearly have to have a level of intelligence to become president. Well, I say that, I mean, look at USA. They've, they've, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Forget what I said, but you have to have some sort of level of acumen, footballing acumen, at least about you in order to be in that position. And Perez screwed it. I look back and I think of that team. And as a kid, I always wanted that Ronaldo shirt. I wanted that Beckham shirt. I wanted Zidane across my back. I wanted to be as affiliated with Real Madrid as much as I could whilst remaining my own allegiance to, to Man United. I wanted to be a part of that incredible team and to support them how I could. But then 
that's only one side of it. I know there are a lot of kids like me and a lot of people like me who looked at this Real Madrid team in awe and at their full pump, they were incredible to watch. But leagues, accolades, they're not won in single games. They're won over a good period of time. And it's such a shame. I'm just going to keep laboring over the fact it's such a shame that they got struck down by their own vanity that they couldn't see what was important. There's even stories that's come out saying that Perez didn't want to pay as much in wage-wise for defensive players as he did attacking players. And that just speaks to everything that's wrong with the club. And where I got that from, you're probably asking, well, they were close to signing Patrick Vieira in 2004. And that was one of the main reasons for why talks broke down. And he went to Inter Milan and Juventus and he did incredibly well there. So why would you put yourself in a position now where you have all that money and you just screw it. I don't see the point. And unfortunately now we have to look back at that first Galactico era with some of the greatest players to ever grace the game and say, you personally were incredible, but the circumstances just meant that the team that you were in and the circumstances that you were in meant that we never really got to see more of you as we deserved. And that's the end of this episode. So today we looked into one of the greatest, well, failures of <laughs> of uh, world football history. There are going to come times where we look at a hell of a lot more on this uh, podcast channel, as well as through our social media accounts and, of course, on our website. So in order to keep up to date with everything, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and even TikTok at UltraUTD. And remember to stay close to the conversation as we upload daily on www.ultraUTD.com.